0: Again, that's Macy's.com slash Own Your Style. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and Abvi In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey, and learn a little more about life with chronic migraine. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids to a classroom? Homes.com knows that these are all the things that you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's all so you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com, we've done your homework. In every pair of Tacoba's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Hi, am Amy, that's Lisa, and we're just two girls that want to have a conversation with you. Dear 16-year-old Andrea. Hey, gorgeous. Dear younger Lauren. Each episode is stories from people. I would deprive myself, weigh myself obsessively. Because I was
1: eating healthy, I couldn't understand that I had a problem with food.
2: Losing my period scared me the most.
3: My story starts when I was around seven. That's when I started to hate my body. Body image is like our inner picture of our outer self.
4: Healthy behaviors play a much bigger role in our health than the actual number on the scales.
3: Internal dialogue can be so powerful and often it's super negative and critical in a way that we wouldn't talk
1: to other
0: people that we care about. When you start to share your story, that gives other people the courage to share theirs. I know you would be proud now of how far you have come in your relationship to food,
5: exercise, and to yourself.
1: I felt freedom. I've gained relationships. I've found my true sense of self-worth. There's one thing I need you to take away from this.
2: You're going to be okay.
0: Life without disordered eating outweighs everything. You're listening to episode three of Outweigh.
1: In this series, we will be discussing eating disorders. People who have struggled with eating disorders or disordered eating will be sharing their story in detail. So please be advised that this content may not be for everybody right now, especially if you're currently in the throes of recovery. Our goal is to make sure that you get the best help necessary for you or a loved one. This podcast should not replace therapy or treatment. To get help, support, or more resources, head to nationaleatingdisorders.org.
0: Okay, welcome to episode three of Outway. I'm Amy. That's Lisa. Hello. And we're going to get right into a guest here in a second, which is a trainer, personal trainer, like workout, that has a history with eating disorder. And I feel like it's such a weird space to be in if you're recovering. And Lisa, I know that part of your story is you were addicted to exercising or that exercise was a form of purging Mm -hmm. for you. And even for me, you know, I work out with the trainer from time to time and it's like, I need to make sure I'm communicating with my trainer on what I need so that nothing's going to be a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. And then for you, if that was your, something you did to purge, like how do you now exercise and know that it's You're doing it for the right reasons instead of the wrong.
1: Yeah, so for me, um, I mean, specifically, I go back to um, junior year of college where I went six months without missing one day of exercise. And it didn't have to be intense or like it didn't have to be strength training and cardio, but I had to get 30 minutes in of even if it was just a walk. And it became a little obsessive. It became a little compulsive. And then it became, okay, well, now I can't break the streak because all I am— is this streak? Like, and I began to attach myself to the streak, and I was being applauded. I mean, you know, when I would tell people that I haven't missed a gym in in six months, it was an applause or, wow, you have so much discipline. And it continued to bolster my self-worth that was built on Lisa, the healthy girl. But really, it was not healthy because not only does the body need need rest, but it became a way for me to give myself permission to eat. So if I ate too much, I found that moving my body could erase some of that. At the time, I wouldn't have called that purging. Uh, I can only look back now and say that that was exercise purging. And I saw exercise as a way to cancel what I ate or uh, had to exercise to earn what I ate. And the truth is, they're really two separate things. And it's only something that I've learned now. And I learned it very beautifully, actually. When I was addicted to exercise, I had to force myself to get there every single day. I was, like, pulling teeth because I was resisting myself. And, you know, everybody always makes a big deal, like, oh, I have to go to the gym, right? Yeah. Like, everybody rolls their eyes, oh, I have to go to the gym, to the point where you start to believe that the gym sucks and that it should be hard or painful. And working out is miserable. And working out is miserable, and then I remember one day being on the Stairmaster, which is like my all-time favorite thing in the entire world, listening to Pitbull. You know, you got to do it your way. And I remember <laughs> like dancing on the treadmill and a light bulb went off. For the my Stairmaster. B- yeah, the sorry, what did I say, yeah. the treadmill? Sorry, yeah. I meant to say the Stairmaster. I'm stepping on the steps. I'm dancing at the same time. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this feels good. Why do I dread this? And I realized that I dread it because I forced myself to go And oftentimes I'm doing things that don't feel good on my body and I don't give myself permission to rest. And from that day on, I realized that I could rest, that my body would want to come here, that it's not a chore. And if I could find the movement that feels good, even if it wasn't intensive, that that is okay. And the more I began, I went to grad school for exercise physiology, as well as nutrition. I realized the importance of rest and having that permission to rest actually allowed me to see that I'm not stepping backwards by allowing the body to heal. And I could actually have a beautiful relationship to
0: exercise, which is what humans are meant to do. And so it actually could be a step forward in your whatever your goals are for And exercising. even if there's no goals, like even, even if, if there's s- no goal. Yeah, right. there's no step backwards. Like, I think that rest days were so hard for me to comprehend. And of course, I partook in plans or diets or whatever that would have a rest day but it was also a cheat day Mm -hmm. so it wasn't just that I love that you brought that up mm -hmm. same so it was a certain workout and meal plan was days one through six Mm -hmm. and then whatever that day seven was you didn't work out but you got to eat whatever you wanted so it was yeah, it was a crazy day, and my oh. husband and I would sometimes do it together. And we even look back on those days, and we're like, "What? How? Like, why, why put yourself? Why did we through, do that. Why to put yourself through that pain? Like you don't <laughs> need to put yourself through that physical pain that you put yourself through." Yes. From and so days, I really feel like that's the only time I enjoyed a rest day, is because I was also getting to eat whatever I wanted, balance that out. But if I wasn't, again, that was just one of the many. Diets or plans that I had. That's I put one that I, I did on. as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and but so there's others where I was just sort of more so restricting, but definitely working out every single day, and so I wouldn't dare miss a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. No, because that wasn't part of the, and it was so black plan. and white, right? And you were good or you were bad. Yeah, that, that was it. And I, just eliminating that good and bad from. Our or, cheat day mindset to whatever non cheating is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheat days ugh. is, ugh. I know so many people listening, either they could be in it now uh-huh. or they. And no have judgment. And when we say, it, ugh, it's not, ugh, I judge you. It's, I've been there, I get it. Yeah. Like, I'm my myself because I know how I already had an unhealthy relationship with food and that just gave me permission to. Eat as I much know as I what want it feels it. like to
1: feel like you need that one day in order to stay on track. That's what I hear the most. Like mm-hmm. I need that if I need to stay on track because I like those foods. And I just want to say if you're willing to hear it that the problem is not the cheat day. The problem is the idea that there's a track. There is no track. there's no good track or falling off the wagon. People will say there's no wagon. If you allow yourself to fuel yourself and take feedback from your body for what it wants, your body doesn't lie and your body has your back. Mm-hmm. But it's up to you to learn to trust it. And that means
0: giving it a chance. Yeah. One of our other experts on today's episode, so we'll have Caitlin, who's a trainer, but then we have Alexis, who's a registered dietitian, but she also owns a restaurant. And she shares something in our talk, which you'll hear later, about a bagel sandwich or a bagel on a tuesday Mm -hmm. and so i want y'all to wait for that based on what we were kind of just saying is cheat days are not necessary if you give yourself the freedom to have whatever whenever you want it and you'll find that balance of you're not going to want that all day every day all the time that's the beauty of it really it really is today we have on caitlin wozniak who is a
1: fitness instructor and has her own history of an eating disorder So I think that that makes you super unique and I'd love to hear how you transitioned away from your eating disorder and into celebrating your body on the daily and teaching others to do so too.
5: So I was 13 when I actually I started dieting and 14 when I was diagnosed with my eating disorder and at the time I had been a dancer for many years, I was a high school athlete and the dieting very quickly spiraled out of control. And so with my diagnosis of anorexia, I also had a compulsive exercise element to that as well. And part of my recovery was ultimately completely eliminating exercise and eventually gradually adding that back in. Um, and it certainly wasn't that easy. <laughs> there, It came with a lot of trial and error and a lot of self-awareness, but I studied Psychology in college, and I really truly believed that I was going to go into eating disorder counseling and maybe even a registered dietitian. But I ultimately found a newfound love of exercise and movement and decided to take my skill set into helping women reevaluate the way that they see exercise and reshape their relationship with it.
0: Yeah, so how do you train people without contributing to? Their disordered eating or an eating disorder. Maybe if you spot that one of your clients has that going on, which I feel like as I talk to more and more people, I'm like, this is probably more prevalent than we think. And then you're already in that world and people are coming mm-hmm. to you for, for a reason. They're coming to you because they're like, Hey, I want help with this. But then how do you help reshape what they're actually coming to you for?
5: Yeah, I mean that's really a multi-layered answer. I try really hard to market my services as a weight-neutral trainer to begin with, so I don't really advertise myself as like a weight loss coach. However, you know, I think that inherently is a goal when it comes to fitness and and sparking a fitness journey for a lot of people. So I try to really monitor the language that I use. And for me now, it's kind of second nature, but it's something I work with a lot of trainers and coaches I mentor to help them use really inclusive and weight-inclusive language in their sessions. But I never prescribe meal plans, and I really don't lead with weight loss as my end goal. I really try to encourage my clients to train to move better, to minimize pain, to learn and understand their bodies. So I try to educate during that hour that I'm training people so that they're not just coming in and moving mindlessly, they're moving and learning about their body in the process. And, you know, I think that educational component helps us to have a much deeper appreciation for what we do and how we do it in the gym.
1: So interesting that you, um, you know, said that you're a trainer that doesn't help with weight loss, because when I became a registered dietitian, believe it or not, weight loss is not our the primary thing that we learn. We learn about disease states. We learn about Uh like medical nutrition therapy. And yet the second I tell anybody I'm a registered dietitian, the first question is, oh, how do i lose weight and it's like you think that most people believe that a dietitian's sole job is to help people lose weight and they believe that a trainer's sole job is to help people lose weight and the truth is that's not our job at all both of our jobs are kind of the same and it's to help people understand their bodies and how they communicate better that's our true job
5: totally And, you know, there's so much research out there now that shows that weight loss as a primary goal, it backfires every time. And I think if we start with those behavior changes and and if if weight loss happens to be a side effect, well, that's cool. But I think going about the behavior change element leads to a lot more continued and long-term success for our clients.
0: I think a thought that has to change or a behavior change has to be that we have to burn what we eat or earn Mm -hmm. our food and... I think all three of us have been at that state where we have felt we haven't deserved something because we didn't work hard enough. Or if we were going to go eat something, we had to go to the gym and burn it all off. Or I think back to when I was in college, I kid you not, I would drink a cappuccino-flavored Slim Fast because it had caffeine included in it. And I actually would get a kick from it. But that would—and I would probably have that—that would be my— breakfast and lunch, one slim fast, because I would have it at like, I don't know, 10 or 11. And then I would go to the gym for two hours. And Mm -hmm. then I would sit in the sauna with saran wrap on my stomach for 30 minutes and sweat it all out because I had gone out the night before and probably drank too much or had jack in the box or whatever it is I did. That was my punishment the next day at the gym.
5: I totally relate to that. I mean that that almost sounds identical to my experience in college and I was reflecting earlier about you know a big part of my journey getting back into fitness was my probably my first 2 years in college I was on my own for the first time I wasn't in therapy anymore and I would go to the college gym and run on the treadmill until the calorie count hit a number I was satisfied with. And I'm sure we can all get a little laugh at that because it was never good enough, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's never good enough. And that's, you know, the ironic part of of having those goals that are set on a physical appearance or a number because we never reach it. We can reach the goal weight, we can reach the, the calorie burn, but we still, when we're that fixated on what we look like or those right. those external values, it's we can get there, but it's still not good enough. And so I really try to encourage my clients to find more powerful and impactful goals when it comes to their training. And I also really try to work with other instructors and trainers to steer away from what I call lazy coaching, because it really does start with us. And I I look back and the introduction I had to fitness was around, well, you know, summertime's coming, you better burn X amount or make sure that your body looks right for bikini body season. And that to me is lazy coaching. And we need to really reevaluate the way that we hold space for people in the fitness world. And, encourage people to have bigger motivators more powerful and impactful motivators
1: what are some fitness goals that people can have where it's not about their weight or a body ideal
5: for me I think about moving well minimizing pain confidence there's so much to be said for the way that we gain confidence just in realizing how strong we can be and I know that not everybody enjoys lifting weights, but strength comes in so many forms in the gym. Maybe it's dancing for, you know, an extra 30 seconds than you did the day before, or, you know, being able to play with your kids for an extra 10-15 minutes there's so much strength to be found in a variety of ways Mm -hmm. so I always go back to those things because those are things that all of us can relate to especially as we get older moving better and being pain-free and being able to keep up with the demands of day-to-day life are, are really important and things that they don't go away as as time goes on those are things we carry with us from year to year and and there are things that we can work into an exercise program really seamlessly and find fun ways to do that.
1: How can you spot obsessive behavior around exercise?
5: A big one is pushing through pain. I see this a lot, especially, and I'm not calling out a huge demographic. It's not where I'm going here. But a lot of times my running clients are, are a big culprit of this, is uh, pushing through pain. And I see it a little bit less now because I think we're, as a culture, we're, we are generating a lot of dialogue around this topic. And that's really really cool to see, but so pushing through pain is a big one. Nobody should ever work through pain or injury. Um, learning to take time to rest and heal allows us to move long-term. Also, canceling plans to exercise. So, if you're brushing off plans with your friends or family because you didn't get to go to the gym, and women, loss of menstruation is a huge red flag. And it's something that is also a part of what we call the female athlete triad, which also includes low bone density, which can go hand in hand with increased risk of injury. And another thing, too, is this like preoccupation with like PRs or personal records um, or other gym language, just kind of being really wrapped up in that space and not being able to see beyond the gym. And it's not exclusively
1: a bad thing. I understand but that, yeah. Well, like, yeah, like yeah. you said, like if that's all you're focusing on, you know, mm-hmm. that becomes that becomes a, a little bit of a, a problem. Of course, there are some people that are hitting their personal records and and they maybe show no signs of disordered eating or issues with mm-hmm. body image or stuff like that.
0: Yeah, but I can yeah. see. What you're- become something that someone's yeah. fixated on and where it's not healthy exactly I've seen it. yeah this isn't a blanket statement for all mm-hmm. but I'll be all just in case anybody's listening and they're like oh shoot like I've canceled plans or I it's ruined my like I will speak up that has totally been me I have opted to work out by myself instead of being with other people and building community mm-hmm. and nourishing friendships and relationships I have been on vacation and just like made it a point that I have to get my workout in, or I'm not going to enjoy the day. instead of like just being on vacation and enjoying the day, it's not this intense thing where you have to work out all the time. There still could be this lingering, well, i didn't I didn't move today. I've got to move, like and having this pressure. But rest can be equally as important. what What's a sign that our body's telling us besides like an injury? But, like, if we're just legit not feeling the workout that day and it's not going to serve us, like, don't you think we're better off just letting it go? It's so oh, hard absolutely. to do, Absolutely,
5: It is, yeah. You know, I've had, I think a lot of that comes with personal experiences. Even as a fitness professional, it's taken me a long time to to say, okay, I mean, there's so many, so many things in the fitness industry that, that could be answered this way, too. But being able to... A, look at the motivator behind why we're moving. If it seems compulsive or rigid, then it's really important to draw that line in the sand and say, today I need to rest and not listen to that nagging voice in my head that says I have to do this to be worthy of something. But also, you know, like if you're exhausted, like maybe you've got, I don't know, I'm a new mom. Like if I got three hours of sleep last night, it's not really worth it for my body to go and go to the gym because I'm not going to perform optimally. And if you've really worked out extremely hard for three days in a row, maybe it's time to take a rest. And like, even if that means going to yoga or just taking the dog for a walk and doing really low impact or even mobility work, you know, I think a lot of people get really scared at the idea of rest days. I often kind of prescribe, for lack of a better term, two rest days with my clients, and they look at me like I've asked them to just sit on the couch all day. And Really, there's so many ways to move that are just really gentle and, and also take care of our joint health.
1: And the body really needs rest. It's something that I learned in, in grad school. I have my master's in nutrition and exercise physiology. And when I learned about rest, I realized that not resting actually competes with most people's goals, whether that be it weight does, loss yeah. or muscle growth or strength. The body actually needs to repair. The muscles need to come back together, recruit and to mm-hmm. in order to grow. Um, and when it comes to weight loss, the most interesting thing that I've come to learn, understand, and really just has helped me honor the body is the fact that exercise is actually produces cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And so oftentimes, and, and the stress hormone is how we hold too much of the stress hormone at all times, is how we hold on to weight. And so giving yourself permission to rest is how your body resets and gets back to baseline. And so oftentimes waking up at 4 a.m. in order to get a workout and because you want to lose weight or do whatever you want to do is actually competing with the goal because you're now super tired and you're, you're creating more cortisol by way of the workout. Whereas rest would have
0: allowed you to replenish, reset your hormones and let your body function optimally. Mm. And you yeah. mentioned something just cause I want to remember to touch on this, but baseline, what I think we need to keep in mind and Caitlin, I'm sure in your world, you have a variety of clients of all shapes and sizes and Everybody's baseline is different, but for some reason, well, I know why media and society has painted whatever that baseline is for the moment. And it's almost like, it's just not, if that's not your baseline, it's not attainable. And then we end up, you know, wrecking ourselves for something that just is not our baseline. And I Mm -hmm. even for so long didn't know what my baseline was because I was constantly manipulating it playing with it, never never just listening to my body, constantly restricting, binging, purging, whether it was literally throwing up or working out at the gym because that can be a purge. You don't have to throw up to purge. You can eat a bunch of food and then feel like you're going to purge it by That's going exciting. to the gym and exercising for hours and hours until you feel like you've adequately burned it off. Mm-hmm. Is that something you have to revisit with your clients that like... This is your body. And that's another thing. I want you to address that. And then I'm going to also ask you to address, like, for me, my body, my baseline, and I'm, like, letting go of counting protein and how much I've had. But if I'm working out and I'm trying to keep muscle on and I'm almost 40 years old and I hear as you age, like, things start to sag and we want to keep it. And I hear (laughs) women need to have 100 grams of protein to maintain their muscle mass as they age. And so I'm like, oh gosh, okay, I got to get my protein. How much protein did I have? And so I'm, I'm having to let that go. But also, I mean, I am trying to work out and take care of my body. So what's the fine line of working out, making sure we're nourishing our body properly to see whatever results we're looking for? And maybe I'm, I'm, an, I'm an example right now as one of your clients. Like, what would you tell me if I was bringing you that?
5: Oh, yeah. No, I, I, this is such a fantastic question. And this instance, as well as my clients who really try to identify as body positive and are really caught in this trap between how do I be body positive and love my body and accept myself as I am, but I want to move better or I want to decrease my back pain. And I always go back to what's the motivator. What is driving you to move the way you are and eat the way you are? Is it this negative, toxic voice in our heads that is telling us that we are only worthy if we do this or we only deserve it if we burn this or we are good, quote unquote, if we eat X, Y, Z. And I think going back to the motivator and reshaping our relationship with movement and food is so important We have to take care of our bodies. It's the one thing that is a constant in our lives, you know, and being so grateful to have a body that is able to move and able to participate in day-to-day activities. That's a blessing. And to take care of it, you know, to celebrate our bodies through movement, not punishing it is really something that it's it takes a long time to really hone that skill and reshape our, our minds around it. But I always go back again, just to kind of reshaping the motivator. And if you are really fighting that toxic voice in your head, every time it creeps up, we have to be aware of it and call it out. So a toxic
0: it... voice being like, I need my body to look this way. Yeah. This is what's ideal instead of accepting what the baseline is, like what is the shape of your body and you don't have to go through drastic extreme measures to achieve this. And then we can, if we all accepted our baseline, it would, we would all look so different for some people, literally, they didn't know their baseline. Like in just a few years, I've seen my curves come out, but they were probably curves that would have always been there, but I was suppressing them. (laughs) And now I'm trying, I'm, I'm learning to love them and, be comfortable in my skin so resetting that baseline but what about also to addressing the is it negative talk to is that what you're saying my 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 thoughts if i'm like oh i have to have x amount of protein to make my workouts even worth it?
5: Yeah, you know, it's like that absolute language of I have to do this or I'm only worth if this. There's so much gray area when it comes to fitness and nutrition that I think we really as a culture thrive on (laughs) rules and immediate result that we kind of have forgotten that there's so much space. Somebody once said to me, given half the chance, the body will heal itself. And that really stuck with me because a big part of the work that I like to teach my clients is we should eat really well. The foods that that provide us energy, that make us feel good, whatever those foods may be, we should move well because we enjoy it. Finding a way to move that that we enjoy especially and if we're moving a healthy amount if we're eating a really beautiful balance of high quality nutritious foods our bodies are going to do what they need to do and they will find and and you call it the baseline I've heard it also referred to as that set weight point Um, it's something that we really reference in eating disorder recovery is like the set weight point or the baseline Um, our bodies will go there but even if your body is settled at its baseline That voice can still be there, and that that takes years and years of practice of refining the way we think and, and combating that language.
1: When we talk about baseline, one thing I found as a registered dietitian is that people are not comparing themselves now to themselves two years ago. People are comparing themselves to high school or even teenage self or college self when they're in their 30s after they've had kids. And so recognizing that baseline isn't one thing and rather our bodies change over a life cycle, whether we're just going through puberty, whether we're in college, whether we're prenatal or postnatal, whatever, you know, throughout the life cycle, it changes. And therefore, your body composition and your weight change as well. So just remember that baseline is kind of a Mm -hmm. hard thing to, you know, if you're always trying to get back to this thing that doesn't exist, you're going to run. Totally.
0: Like I sometimes have to fight my baseline of being when I was, having hot lemon water for breakfast, which hot lemon water is not bad. Like you can still have that. But I mean, I was sometimes treating that as a breakfast Okay, and then Mm -hmm. waiting until lunchtime to have, you know, vegetable smoothie and then having kale for dinner. That was not a good space for me. And while I thought I was in a really good space, I can't define that now as my baseline. Like I went and put on jeans from when I was like that and also, I had time to go to Bikram yoga like every single day, which was 90 minutes of this intense. Ugh, gosh, hate heat. Bikram. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, but that was my world. I didn't have kids. My husband was deployed half the year. So I had a lot of time to myself and I was focused on different things, the wrong things. <laughs> but that's what I had time to focus on. And I think it was last year or something, I just finally went through my closet and got rid of those jeans because Mm -hmm. that's not my baseline. That's not attainable. Unless I want to go back to that, which I don't, then I need to go ahead and just call it a day and move up a few gene sizes and wash my hands of it. It's not a big deal. When you buy something that actually fits Fits, you. Buy what fits you now. Buy what what fits you. You feel so much better. There's not this pressure of, okay, I guess I'll just, we'll need, and then finally I'll fit into those jeans. But I also I don't want to be confusing and um, Caitlin, you could maybe speak to this too, just because of your profession, and clients that you deal with. Like it doesn't mean we're saying just continue on a trajectory of what? I not, mean, not taking care of your body. I right. mean, you, you oh, don't have.
1: Yeah. I don't think you're. Nobody's obligated. One thing I've learned recently is you're not obligated to take care of your health. Right. So, but if it's something that you care about that's not something we're saying you don't have to do. I mean, for me, understanding what exercise my body likes versus what I thought I had to do changed everything. So like you just said, Bikram mm-hmm. yoga. I hate Bikram yoga, but I love any other form of yoga pretty much. So tuning into like what feels good was hugely different for me because I was no longer going to the gym to punish myself. I no longer had to drag myself to the gym. It was no longer, I had to go if I ate something. It was like, I want to go. Or even on vacation, oftentimes it's like, oh, I have this free time in the morning. I I get to go to the gym. And it's funny to hear the relationship to the same thing be so different. Mm -hmm.
5: It, Something that I'm really passionate about spreading the message, especially working with clients who are interested in the intuitive eating model, not to get totally off topic, but I think that goes hand in hand because so many people see intuitive eating as this blueprint to just throw their hands up in the air and eat whatever they want. And while there's permission to eat freely it's not about not taking care of yourself. It's actually about taking the best care of yourself by listening and getting back to that voice that our bodies have intuitively and refining just the, or kind of like cutting through the nonsense that we get fed about food and our bodies. Again, I just kind of go back to encouraging people to see the gray area and not living in this black and white, absolute language around fitness in our bodies and, and remembering that there's a variety of ways to move just leaving a workout and drenched in your own sweat does not it's not the only thing that constitutes a great workout um, a lot of the times those are terrible workouts actually mm-hmm. there's there's something to be said for having a variety of activities and and learning to see exercise as movement
1: and, I love that. You don't. Get, you said you don't need to be drenched in sweat for it to count as a great workout. Mm-hmm. I just want to
0: make sure that's heard loud and clear because it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on. I want to send people to your Instagram. You're Caitlin Wozniak, but your handle is Caitlin with a Y. So K-A-I-T-L-Y-N. And then what is, say your last name? That's so your middle name. So, or your middle
5: name? Yeah, it's very confusing. My middle name is Dinae. So D-I-N-N-E-H.
0: We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put so it in because. the show notes, but at Caitlin Denae. I know a lot of times people don't go look at the show notes. So I just want to make sure we give you a shout out on here. So at thank Caitlin Denae, and then uh, Dene again is D-I-N-N-E-H. So thank you, Caitlyn Denae Wozniak, for coming on and talking with us. We appreciate you so much. Thank you, guys. So after we talked to Caitlin, I turned to Lisa. I was like, okay, I think this is where I want to clarify a few things Because I know in the talk with Caitlin, I talked about how I I just still struggle with where I am with my body and wanting to maintain a healthy muscle tone and the hundred grams of protein or having your body stay, even though we're aging and your body's changing and different things. Like I feel like for me, I can have some of that control, but you always mentioned to me outer wisdom. And I think I'm starting to understand a little bit of what that looks like, but for other people... Mm -hmm that might not like, how can we ditch the whole, this is how much protein we need to the gram. Yeah. And this is how many carbs we need to the gram. Because mm-hmm. for me, what's crazy is that was such a new concept to me. I never even knew what a macro was mm-hmm. until last year. Okay. And really what it meant. It's comical to me that I'm having to ditch it already. And like you, know, we talked about, I was clinging to it already as like a, a, a life vest yeah. for anybody else that is in that. Let's talk about that. And then outer wisdom. Yes.
1: So outer wisdom, the t- the phrase that Amy keeps repeating is a part of my modern mindful eating philosophy. And while learning to ditch diets, there's a, there's a few ways to do it. Some people will completely ditch everything that they've been taught to know. And kind of like you said, I think in an earlier episode, um,
0: or any random conversation we've any had the last conversation
1: time. that like, you know, maybe you need to go to Chick-fil-A every single day to prove to yourself that you can have Chick-fil-A and that Chick-fil-A isn't a bad food. Right. What I have found from working with clients and with myself is that while that might be the case with certain foods, we can bring nutrition into the equation of listening to our body, but in a very different way than how we've been taught to use nutrition with our body. So using nutrition to empower versus create fear or control are kind of two very different things. So outer wisdom means being conscious or aware of what you're eating, that external information, but in a completely new way. So when it comes to counting macros, which is something that Amy was doing for a little bit, that means basically not counting calories, but counting the amount of grams found in carbs, protein, and fat, and using that to guide her food choices.
0: Mm -hmm. And in a way, I got caught up in calories in, calories out because I was also, full disclosure, don't know if I told you this, but I would use my Apple Watch and I would track like my steps and whatever workout. Oh, now <laughs> my Apple. <laughs> I touched my Apple Watch. Now it's talking to me. But you can check your whatever calories that your watch is saying that you burn for the day. And I, while I didn't obsess fully on how many calories I had eaten, I knew that every day I wanted to hit like 1,800 Calories on my watch. Mm-hmm. Now, I we wanted
1: to burn. YouTube
0: whatever that makeup. is. And that was from like the time I woke up. It included, like, I would record my workout in mm-hmm. there. So it would calculate that, then my steps, blah, blah, blah. And then I get it. It's not accurate, which is probably this is a good time too mm-hmm. for yeah. you to touch on food in if we're calories in versus calories out. Since we did just talk to Caitlin about working out, calories in versus calories out, and how we put so much emphasis on what the calories on the box says. And then what we need to do to burn it. And it's not the same for everybody. Well, it's not the same. But okay, first of all, it's the it's the most efficient way to have an unhealthy relationship to
1: both food and fitness to equate fitness to food in that way. Oh, my God. The Apple Watch is out of control. I'm just going to take it off. Anyway, um, not to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but calories in versus calories out is not a made-up thing. Like, in theory... You know, to lose weight, you eat less calories than you will, or you burn more than you eat, right? That's the method for weight loss. If you eat too many calories, you gain weight. That's what we've been told. But the problem is that we are human beings. We are not calculators. And so plugging in numbers into our body doesn't quite work in that same way that we think we do. So there's a lot of different reasons for this, but there's a lot of things that are going to affect the amount of calories that you absorb. So Amy and I just had lunch together and we eat the exact same thing, but the amount of calories that I'm going to absorb is going to be different than the amount of calories Amy absorbs. And we have to remember that calories are an amazing thing. We've positioned them to be this bad thing because we've been told too many calories equals weight gain, but calories are literally just the energy we derive from food. If we want to have energy during the day, we need to to consume calories. So if my body consumed more calories than Amy's, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have a worse body or a less efficient body. It just means that's what my body did. So one thing that you should understand is that the labels that we make all of our food decisions based off of on the nutrition fact panel can be off by up to 20%. So that means that your let's say you're you're trying to eat 2000 calories a day and you're plugging it all into my fitness pal that 2000 calories could really be 1600 or 2400 calories so i just want to l- let you know that to kind of tell you that you don't need to listen to these labels like because if you're it's never clinging
0: to it like it's you right. know the by reason
1: for that is not you know government regulations that want to Not give you the truth. That's what kind of the media has chalked it up to. But because there's such diversity in all of our bodies, in our microbiomes, which are our gut, our hormones, all these things, and they're all regulating in a way to help you function and live optimally. So anything that goes on in your body
0: is meant to support you, not to get in your own way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Give me your advice if I'm having a day where I'm struggling with the protein intake. Okay. Am I I working, am I muscle mass?
1: Okay, so the outer wisdom comes into play here because there's nothing wrong with understanding which foods are protein, which are carbs, which are fat. There's nothing wrong with understanding the general caloric makeup of a food. But it becomes a very different story when we are using these exact numbers and relying on them to guide exactly what we eat. So if Amy is trying to gain muscle and she's at a place where she can do that in a healthy way without becoming obsessive, I think Amy can think about protein consistently throughout the day but it doesn't necessarily need to be measuring it in a contained way, right? You're not a bodybuilder. You're not competing. It doesn't need to be taken to this level of seriousness that we often go to. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you said was like sometimes you'd be going to bed and you'd be like, oh, shoot, I didn't get enough protein in and get up and go get something that had protein because yeah, I needed 20 more grams. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that right there just shows us that we are ignoring our body's wisdom rather than using information about nutrition as a tool to enhance our plate or to make it more balanced. We're using it as a tool to manipulate our bodies.
0: Mm-hmm. And But I think that this is a strong thing or a, a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. It's a strong statement to say, like, accept your body where it is or don't manipulate your body mm-hmm. because for so long, with all of these various things that we do, it has been a manipulation of the body which is back to where it's like, what is our body? What is our baseline? In Taylor Swift's Miss Americana, she expressed like, you can't win. She's like, when I was skinny enough to be as skinny as I felt like I was supposed to be was acceptable for me. And now, then I couldn't have the booty that is out there now. And then if you've got the booty, you can't be skinny. She's like, you can't, it's like, you can't win. Right? It's so hard to, again, when it comes to manipulating your body to be whatever Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be. So also that comes with just the acceptance and love of who you are individually. Yep. And getting to know yourself. We can do all these things
1: to build self-esteem, but do we ever take the time to get to know our self-worth? And that's a topic that I want to dive into a little bit more in this episode.
0: Mm -hmm. Speaking of that and body checking and obsessiveness, like obsessive weighing, even rigid schedule at the gym, since we just had Caitlin on, I think this is the perfect time to share Uh, Rachel's story, and then after uh, her story, she'll do her letter to herself as well.
2: Hey, I'm Rachel, and this is my story. My eating disorder slash disordered eating started in 11th grade, right around the time I began taking Adderall, which was prescribed for my ADHD. For those who know, this kind of medication is known to suppress your appetite, and since I was barely eating, I was also quickly losing weight. Little did I know that this one thing was going to trigger something way bigger, Within a few months, I became completely obsessed with the way that I looked and what I was, or more like wasn't, putting into my body. I began completely restricting food. It started with the typically unhealthier bad ones and then it began to spiral into a general fear of most foods. I was body checking constantly, grabbing the parts of my body I believed to be fat, staring in the mirror, repeating horrible things to myself, over-exercising to my body's limits, obsessively weighing myself, sometimes up to five or six times a day, and constantly, I mean constantly thinking and obsessing over food and the way my body looked. Surprisingly, I actually never felt pressure from society and a majority of these issues came from the pressure that I put on myself as I'm an overachiever and perfectionist. On the days that I struggled, so every day, I would feel physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. I was irritable, weak, and always extremely frustrated. This deeply affected my relationships with my family as I was always acting out with virtually no reason in their minds. I had so much trouble opening up and can barely speak about my emotions. Also, I think it's important to recognize that it wasn't even about the food at this point. It was just about control and the ability to control every situation in my life. I was so rigid and stuck in my ways that I could barely even go away as a day off from the gym or out of my routine was absolutely not allowed in my mind. Ultimately, I knew I had to make a change when every day was just more miserable than the next. I hit a point so low that I basically isolated myself from everyone and was finding it really hard to find the joy in things. I don't remember an exact moment that led me to seek help, but there was an overall desire to stop feeling so bad about myself. Once I began therapy and really started to talk about my issues, I noticed a huge shift in the way that I felt. Obviously, it takes work and I'm still nowhere near 100%, but I do know that I'm feeling better each day. On the days that old thoughts and patterns do arise, I try to remind myself how miserable I felt then and how fulfilled I feel now. I try to vocalize the thoughts as keeping them inside makes it worse for me. I also really focus on not shifting or changing anything about my current life, as I do not want to give in to my old patterns or behaviors. Doing these things definitely help to alleviate the pressure, but it does not make them go away. Honestly, I would say that every day I choose to move forward through the pain and place one foot in front of the other. By leaving that life behind me, I have gained a newfound appreciation for food and my relationships. Like I said before, I'm nowhere near 100%, nor do I think I'll ever be, but I've gained a new perspective on things. I'm actually able to go out to eat with friends or family and really enjoy myself. I also have so much more energy and time to invest in things that really make me happy. Life now is fun and interesting and I'm so excited to continue to grow. Dear Younger Rachel, I am so sorry for all of the pain and suffering that I put you through. I'm sorry that I didn't recognize how deeply you were suffering and how desperately you just needed to talk about how you felt. I'm sorry for robbing you of the joy and excitement from so many situations and for making you feel uncomfortable in your own skin Honestly, though I wouldn't change anything that you went through because your suffering has only made you a stronger person I want you to remember how badly you felt then, and how happy and free you feel now and overall I'm really proud of who you become
0: Okay, Lisa I liked that Rachel Wasn't sorry that she went through any of it because Mm -hmm. she's come out Stronger on the other side. I'm not sorry either. Are you? No, we wouldn't be here today No, we wouldn't and that's how I try to approach everything in my life that is difficult or if i'm facing any sort of adversity It's like, okay, what can I learn from this? Like I don't want it to be wasted or more than that Just recognizing that that's the journey that got you exactly
1: where you are right now
0: But you're not going to get to where you need to be if you are stuck right in that And you're not looking for okay. How can I grow from this true? Where is the good? And I, so I'm not even saying that it's easy to find the good and the bad or how we can grow from it. But Lisa and I are here using our own experience. We're here together. And then now you're with us. And then how will that change the trajectory of your story, depending on where you are with it? And who will you affect mm-hmm. positively? And it can be a domino effect mm-hmm. for sure. Our next expert is going to be Alexis. And this is actually one of your friends, right, Lisa? I met her through Instagram still. Oh, Um, shout out. Yeah, she's a registered dietitian. And when
1: I started Instagram, I just loved her. She's witty, she's funny, she's real. And we both came out around the same time as registered dietitians before disordered eating was being talked in the media or social media. And not to toot my own horn, but very bravely, and I didn't know I was being brave at the time, you know, came out and said, hey, we're registered dietitians and we have a problem. And it wasn't the story that we'd heard a lot of. I had anorexia, that's why I'm going into this field, or I have bulimia, that's why I'm going into this field. We were the first ones that I know of to really say, we are obsessed with healthy food and we are scared, or we were, and we are scared of anything else. And at the time it was trailblazer-like because Mm -hmm. there weren't many people
0: as registered dietitians saying we're imperfect and we're willing to change. Well, and thank you for being bold because it led you to where you are today, which, again, I'll keep saying it, (laughs) led me to finding you, which is awesome, and you finding Alexis on Instagram, too. So uh, let's get into our little chat with her right now. Right
1: now, we have Alexis Joseph, who's a registered dietitian. She's also founder of Alchemy Juice and the very well-known blog Homo sapien. Hi. Thank Alexis. you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you. You and I share a very similar journey, minus me not owning a health food restaurant, but <laughs> our <laughs> being registered dietitians, being kind of public figures on Instagram, yet sharing very personal details of our struggles has kind of been a theme. So I'm really excited to have you on. So I thought a good place to start would be to just share the subtle differences between eating healthy meals versus disordered eating slash orthorexia.
3: Yeah. So I think, you know, it's interesting because we all start, you know, typically from a place of passion and just being really, really excited about eating well. And then, you know, some of us obviously end up in this place where it's kind of all we think about and it moves away from being supplemental to our lives and and healthy and nourishing to a place where it's just kind of all-consuming. So I think it's important to reflect on, you know, looking at health from just that bird's-eye view and knowing that it's so many different things. It's food, it's being outside, it's your relationships, it's your environment, it's moving in a way that makes you feel wonderful. And I think that, you know, we just tend, just having that super refined view of health is kind of where we get in that danger zone, if you will.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So health is more than just your diet.
3: Exactly. And I think, yeah, honing in when we when we get so food centric, um, which I know type A personalities like myself and, you know, maybe you as well, Lisa, we, we tend to just hyper focus on one aspect. And then we we kind of are blind to all the other things that we're leaving behind and actually getting to a place where too much health is
1: not a good thing. Well, it's so interesting to hear that from you because you own a health food chain. I don't know if you call it a health food chain. I'm sure other people yeah. do. But um, <laughs> yes. Alchemy Brand is based in Columbus, right? Yes. Yeah, and do Columbus, you guys yeah. identify as a health food cafe or what? how do you identify?
3: Yeah, we call ourselves an all-day cafe. You know, we'll get into this, but just how much Alchemy has changed over the years. Even when we opened, our tagline was Juice Bar Cafe. And now our locations, um, we don't even use the word juice in the name. So we have like Alchemy Cafe, Alchemy Kitchen, Alchemy Meal Prep. And we've really grown from being that, you know, juice and smoothie bar identity to being uh, you know, a full restaurant that has everything from egg sandwiches to bacon to gluten-free avocado toast and a blueberry smoothie. So really all over the board and really options for all eaters, options for everyone, where no matter what you eat and what you don't eat, you can sit at the table and have a lovely meal. And it's not about, you know, being in a box based on what
0: your diet is. Mm, so would you say that that obviously in the evolution of alchemy, there was an aha moment, either for the space you were trying to create or yourself, or what did that look like to know, okay, wait, this is, this is not yeah. where we want to be and we need to shift. So what was that moment? So yeah, Alchemy opened in 2014
3: and I made the transition personally, like it really came to terms with my own orthorexia in 2016. So that was about two years later. And really for me, it was like subtle changes. Obviously it was adding to the menu. So adding just more food options for people, whether that's, you know, a turkey sandwich on farm bread that's, God forbid, not made with whole grains or, um, you know, our superfood donut, just adding those like fun, yummy things to the menu that serve, you know, food is about so many things and nutrition is one of those things that we can celebrate, but we eat for so many reasons, right, beyond just it being good for you. So, I think that, you know, even coming down to the name. So, for example, when we first opened, you know, there's like a a blueberry detox smoothie and just using words that even now I just wouldn't choose to call it like, you know, use the word detox in a smoothie name. And it's funny to look back now and think, like, oh, you know, if we would have opened Alchemy five years later, we actually say this now. If we would have opened Alchemy today, it would look very, very different just because of how much we've evolved even just growing fibers older and wiser. And just, especially from my perspective, again, not being so like, how do we pack as much health into every single menu item? Like maybe items serve a different purpose on the menu that isn't just how many grams of fiber it has, for example.
0: I want you to go a step further when talking about the blueberry detox smoothie. Like why was it important to you to eliminate the word detox?
3: You know, we try to not be super like buzzwordy and we try to to set trends. We don't like to be just always following. And, you know, the second something comes out, throwing it on the menu. And I felt that that word felt
0: very health-obsessed. It's a little and, predatory, you know, want, too. Like, you're yeah, going to get we a... Don't want people to come. I, I would have bought it five yeah, years I, ago, but I wouldn't buy oh, it now. for sure. No. So, I mean, yeah. And I, I'm asking you that because I, too, have evolved as a person and where I am in this space and how I've used my platform. And I used to be like... I was where I was detoxing 24 seven. Like I lived one big mm-hmm. f- giant detox in the way I was consuming things. I felt like right. everything I needed to have, like had lemons and all the th- and like everything. Cayenne. had to, Yes. And cayenne and just all the, you know, right. turmeric with black pepper. I just constantly was fighting inflammation and right. it can have its space. I'm not saying having a juice now is bad, But I lived that whole detox life, and so that's why it stuck out to me to ask you, for you, what it was like to take that off. Because yes, I would have been a customer that came in, and I was like, "Oh, blueberry. Oh, you say the word detox, I better get that." When really our bodies are really smart and wise, and they are already detoxing without us even trying.
3: Yeah, I, I love that you pointed that out, and I really, I feel like Alchemy today really represents the gray area of, and really like how I live my life of you can have your donut you can have your kale salad you can have your turkey sandwich you can have all these things in one space it does not have to be one or the other and it does not have to be this place of extremes like there is a middle ground and you just have to trust the process in you know letting yourself get to a
0: place where that's a reality for you. It's so funny, Lisa. Did you hear her just say turkey sandwich? Yes. Oh, yeah. I have, um, Alexis, I have, when I first started trying to implement a lot of Lisa's and, uh, advice and wisdom and fork the noise, I yeah. was in Colorado last summer and my family was hiking and then we got back and somebody else was in charge of the food and there really was no, I was trying to not freak out about not having control over every little single thing I was putting in my body. And they made turkey sandwiches. That was what was for lunch. They put out the bread. They put out the turkey, uh, the mayonnaise, the mustard, the chips, whatever. That was lunch. And normally, I would have found some extreme way to go around and not consume that and consume whatever thing that was far more complicated and just make everybody miserable. Well, mostly myself and probably my husband. I just... Looked at it and I was like able to finally just say like I'm hungry or I what I would have done is just not eat, which is not doing myself any favors. But we had just hiked a very long hike. I knew my body needed food and I ate a turkey sandwich and it was the biggest I feel like deal. I need a clap. I feel like we need a yes. slow clap. A, so I, just, I remember when she texted it to me. <gasps> I just, I know as lame <laughs> as it amazing. seems, it's but I'm not lame I'm, at all. I'm, that no. was one of my it's first. It's it was. It was like one of my first giant steps towards freedom. The freedom that I'm still, it's still a journey for me. I'm i am still trying to figure some things out for sure. But that was, I mean, my husband even looked at me and he was like, do you realize you just ate a turkey sandwich? <laughs> and I'm like, I know. And guess what, guys? Like, I, I, well, yeah, emotionally, I you felt like another day. way better because I wasn't stressed. But I, like, nothing changed about, like, Like my day went on, my jeans fit the next day. Like it was totally fine. I actually found
1: that by, you know, kind of avoiding all those foods that I thought I couldn't have, like bread and pasta and rice, like the typical carbohydrates don't eat foods. When I brought them back into my life, I experienced a more comfortable feeling in my body. Now this is kind of twofold. It was no longer just like putting high fiber only foods in my body that made me feel distended all the time but I began to trust myself that I would feed myself again. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like, so I actually was experiencing stomach pain from quote unquote, healthy food salad, or even a distended stomach for longer periods of time than if I just ate bread or pasta. And that was like, oh, we need to look at this closer. So one of the things that I think is really interesting that, you know, as a, I don't really post much, much food anymore, but I think that this is a a reflection on alchemy too, is like we could still eat things like cauliflower rice or have a blueberry smoothie, mm-hmm. but are these substitutions or are they additions to our diet? So for me personally, I love cauliflower rice, but I also love rice. And making sure that it I don't actually see it as a substitution, even though that's how it's marketed, is something that I try and be really wary of. Does that reflect right. itself into- No, you? I love that,
3: Yeah. Alchemy. And I think also, yeah, and even like, you know, removing these external, you know, voices or these external expectations that we put on ourselves, whether it's the time of day or even just, you know, it's the weekend versus during the week. Like I had a bagel sandwich, you know, I was eating this like bagel in the park, uh, was like an everything bagel, my favorite thing. And I thought to myself, like, there was no reason for it. It was like 12 on a Tuesday, grabbed mm-hmm. a bagel sandwich. Yeah. and old me would have been like, oh, I'll have a bagel. If it's like a brunch out with people, it's like a treat. It's like a thing. Mm -hmm. And to get to, to be in a place where there's not a reason for it, where you just want it in the same way, if I want a blueberry smoothie, which I do, I love blueberry smoothies. I have them all the time, but I don't feel boxed into, you know, I'm having it because of this whole thing that I thought about way too much in my brain. It's like, I'm in the mood for a smoothie. I'm going to get it. And like the thought was there and the thought is gone. I eat it. I move on versus this like, story in my head. I love when you brought up the just kind of mentioning like relinquishing control because I, I I would assume you've had a similar experience but even just noticing how being just relinquishing that control with food how that just like takes over everything else in your life and you're just such a more gentle whatever word you want to use just such a I feel so much more calm because I can be more gentle about everything now that I've seen like Through the lens of food, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. ton of sense. One of the things that I think is helpful for us as nutritionists that have experienced orthorexia that those that are not nutritionists may not know is that when we go with the quote unquote healthier food as a as a substitution, you're not getting the same thing. So like there's this stuff called Palmini. It's called Palmini pasta. It's literally just shredded hearts of palm and they call it pasta. I've had it. I like it. I like it a lot, actually, but it's just hearts of palm. So the problem Mm -hmm. becomes, I believe, when people believe that that is now pasta and now all they're having for dinner is palmini pasta with tomato sauce. And so one thing we know as nutritionists is that hearts of palm is going to be a very, very low calorie food. And therefore, whoever's substituting it is not getting nearly enough food energy, most likely than they need. And I see these substitutions all the time, whether it's with cheese, which is now almond cheese. Again, no problem with it, but we need to recognize that when we mutate the food and we just call it the same thing, it's not the same thing.
3: Right. And it's like, what's the goal? You know, if the goal is to add more vegetables, for example, which is awesome, you know, who doesn't need more veggies? That's great. You know, can you make some whole wheat pasta or, you know, whatever you're feeling and add some artichoke to it. You know, does it have to be we're removing the base that's going to make you not, you know, not be hungry again in an hour after you eat kind
1: of thing. And why I think you bring such a unique message to the internet right now is because it is a place where people hear the word intuitive eating and they either run directly to it because they're so fed up with the diet world or they run completely away from it because they think that it means not taking care of their body, not eating healthy and all the things that come with it. And you what you do with your career, both with Homo sapien and with alchemy is you say, hey, we can still eat foods that that used to go in the health category as part of our norm without labeling them and still live really like enriched lives. So in a world that feels so black and white, I think that you show a really great gray and we're still taking care of our bodies by way of diet. But diet is not everything when it comes to health. Does that feel accurate right.
3: for you? Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. I think I think it honestly comes down to the fact like I I grew up just like loving food straight up. I loved food before I love nutrition. So, you know, when I when it comes back to it it's like I don't want to snack on like a you know, a kale, whatever it is, you know, I just, I want to eat food that tastes good. And so I, I feel that, Um, and not everyone loves food, you know, some people don't have a big interest in food. So, but I think having that perspective and me playing more of like a restaurateur chef role than I like day to day than I do a nutritionist, I think kind of, you know, just like puts that all in perspective for me because making food taste good and making food fun is my main job versus, you know, the nitty gritty of nutrition every day, if you will.
0: Dieting and health Are not synonyms. Like they're not, they're not the same thing. And I think that a lot of times we lump them in the same thing. Like if you're eating that way because you're trying to be aware of the nutrients you're putting in your body, you're using your wisdom and what you know about food. Um, Some people might label, including yourself, as like, okay, this is this is my this is my diet, and this is how I eat. But I guess should we just like eliminate the word diet, like? (laughs) Yeah, I think also
3: like I think there's so much public confusion and I think it's you know, it stems from so many different things and how we grow up and not being connected to how we grow with food and, and eating so quickly in America and not being connected to the celebratory nature of eating. And just kind of, you know, we grow up and everything has to be very quick and very convenient. And and, and food just kind of becomes this thing that's like a hassle almost. Mm -hmm. So I I just think we've become so disconnected from the joy of eating.
1: And the joy of um, dining, like whether it be at home with our families or at a restaurant, like everything, I've noticed the influx of fast casual restaurants. It's how can we make this more, quote unquote, convenient, but we're less connected to our food and less connected to the process of eating all-in-one.
3: Right. And if it's like at what cost, you know, if you're quote-unquote healthier because you're eating whatever cauliflower crust or what have you, nothing against cauliflower, but at at what cost, you know, are you hungry an hour later? Are are you thinking about food constantly? Are you not going out with your friends because you're afraid of eating? You know, it's there's just so much to be enjoyed in life. And, and I, I hate to think that people, you know, are thinking they have to give all these things up, you know, just to weigh a certain number to be, you know, five pounds thinner or what have you.
1: Yeah. So how do you personally encourage your friends or family or maybe customers? I'm not sure if you're still working with clients these days. You've certainly have got a lot on your plate, also planning a wedding. But how do oh, yeah. you how do you encourage them to move away from extremes, which is what people tend to latch on to? and move towards intuition?
3: Yeah, I think the first step is really identifying like what the rules are, because I think so many of us have these, you know, these guidelines in our head that we're so used to them that we don't even realize the rules we're imposing on ourselves. Things like, like similar to your story, I had a client that was like, oh my God, I just had a piece of bread. It's been like two years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our head, it was like, bread is bad. It's not even a rule. It's just that bread is bad. So I really like to go through with whether it's, You know, client, what have you? Like, what are those rules that you frame your that you live your life by? And like, let's actually dig into why those exist. Are they health based? Are they fear based? Is there any validity to them? And I feel like that kind of really uncovers that aha moment. Like, wow, I I just realized like I don't eat pasta, but like I haven't even had it in five years. Or even like going through people and learning what they don't like. So many people say they don't like things. Because they don't want to eat them. Yep. You know, they're like, I don't like sweets. I don't like pizza. I'm like, you don't like pizza? Like, are you sure? Like, if you have pizza, like, I think you like it, you know? So just kind of revisiting all
1: of those rules. And it also goes the other way. Like, just to give some people some peace of mind, like you might like pizza. It actually works the other way. For me, I was like, I thought I had this crazy sweet tooth. So I had all this quote unquote willpower and discipline that never worked to keep me away from sweets. And when I let sweets in I found that I like a lot of the times I I don't say I don't like sweet but I really prefer like a savory or a salty sometimes or if I do like sweet I find it too sweet. I mean one of the most interesting thing was I used to down like not halo top cuz it was a little before that time but like diety type ice cream
0: mm-hmm, like a yeah.
1: Light. yeah, a light ice cream and I would just like go to town on it and and eat it all. And I thought I loved it. And when I eat things like that, now the flavor of um, artificial sweeteners is so strange to me. And people used to eat my food and say that tastes really weird. And I was like, why does that taste weird? It tastes good. (laughs) And it's just like you you get used to Kind of funny things, but my point there was that, like, this thing I, I tried to have so much
0: willpower to not have, I needed no willpower, I just needed to learn what I liked because you were, were you were able right to step back and learn about yes. your body, and for so long, we've been you know, like. You were saying, like, do you you really not like pizza or (laughs) is it that you've just told yourself for so long you don't like pizza? So then we don't even know what we really like. We don't know what we like. We don't know who we are. It's a pretty basic element of us. I I tell people it's really
3: like learning a new language. And I think that for all the reasons we've talked about and being so busy, we just want everything to be so immediate. And I think that unlearning diet culture it is it takes a lot of work and a lot of self-reflection. And I think that we bury ourselves in busyness because it's hard sometimes to sit with our own thoughts and to come to terms with the fact that we have created these, you know, these barriers and these rules. So, you know, I always just like to encourage people. I know it's cheesy, like, oh, it's a journey, but, and you both have said like, you know, I'm still on the journey. I'm still on the journey too. Like, I don't feel like I have this, you know, are there times where I make a decision and I'm like, was that the most intuitive thing or did I get that just because I feel like it's the healthier thing? But I think giving myself the grace to know that I'm working and I'm doing the best I can and I'm aware of it versus, you know, old me would have said like, even just, like, I feel like I was so judgmental. Like, I used to be so judgmental of other people's health decisions, too. Or just...
1: <laughs> yeah, the healthy oh, eating high horse. Oh. Just riding around and on like, Oh, my God. I'm disgusted Judging. by
3: myself how I used to, like, how dare I even, like, think to judge what someone else is eating. Yeah. Like, it, it's so, it's so just, like, unbelievable to me that I used to... But it's, like, we all judge based on our own experiences. Mm-hmm. So when you have that narrative in your head, and, you know, obviously, like, what bothers you really is telling us, uh, what you need to work on. So it just makes so much sense. But I think just really remembering that it's not instant and it does take a lot of work. Like if I said, you need to learn Spanish by next week, you'd be like... Uh, And it's really the same thing with, with
0: all of us, oh, I think. Oh, I love that so comparison true. because it is. And and even admitting, I, I think it's important for people to hear that we're bringing you on, Alexis is an expert and you too, Lisa, but it is helpful to me and others listening that are like me that are not in this world to hear from y'all that it is an ongoing process and it's not something, because then that, that gives that hope of like, because you don't want to constantly feel like it's not, like you're failing at something if you have a certain thought that you're not supposed to have. Or, right. you know, you have a day where there's a struggle. Like that's normal and it's okay. It's just what are you gonna do with it?
1: And I think bridging the expert, whether you're a therapist or a dietitian or another healthcare worker, like bridging the gap between I'm over here and you're over here mm-hmm. is really important for, in my opinion, both parties to better understand each other. Because oftentimes a healthcare professional, I know when I started my business, Alexis, I don't know if you agree, you know, I kind of felt like I had to act like I had it all figured out and that it was all perfect because these people were paying money to see me. And then they were there Mm -hmm. not fully connecting with me because I was all the way over here. But when we both share a little bit, you know, appropriately, we're able to grow together and recognize that we're always works in progress with everything.
3: Yeah, I think vulnerability is infectious. And I think that I think that, like Lisa I mean I think the reason you're so successful is because you're so vulnerable and that you were vulnerable before vulnerability was like so in like yes, right now it's like that it's so but... in to be like so vulnerable and it's like are you that vulnerable because you know what I mean yeah. so <laughs> it's you know that's I think that's really um people you know they want to know that that life is not perfect because life isn't perfect and I think that especially like diet culture stems from this quest to be perfect. And so, you know, this whole, so many of us are just are just prone to that because of our personality type, because we want to control every single thing, every person. I see it even in my relationship and how I've changed with my fiance and, and mm-hmm. relinquishing control with him. Like, I'm like, you're like, you know, I don't want to treat him like I used to treat my diet. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's so interesting when you step back and think like, you know, they say how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I really believe that. And when you can step back from diet culture and start to get in this like gentler place of intuitive eating, again, like bringing up that topic from before, like it it, it really infuses into your relationships and, and everything else you do.
0: Love that. I'm going to share your Instagram bio, Alexis. It says, which your Instagram handle, by the way, is hummus sapien. Like so <sighs> good. So mm-hmm. cute. H U M M U S A P I E N. So definitely give Alexis a follow. And in your bio it says, All happiness depends on a leisurely breakfast. I love it. <laughs> I, just thought so that I freaking that was love good. breakfast. Yeah. Breakfast is is amazing. And breakfast used to be a meal that I always f- skipped because I was trying to reach some fasting situation or uh, trying to one. keep it light for morning, like light to heavy is how I ate my day, like hot lemon water to green juice to smoothie, to then I could have food. And then, mm. you know, so I'm with you on that. All happiness depends it's on It's such a nice a slow time of day. I know. I think I'm freaking my dad and my husband out when they see me eat certain things, especially in the morning. Because like be, they've never seen yeah, it. I get out like these cinnamon raisin English muffins, and then I make like eggs perfect and like a little like I'm getting a, like I'm at a restaurant or something. Right. You're, you're and using love into it. Yeah, it's kind of my little thing and I like to put ghee on the thing with some sea salt and it's like this cinnamon raisin so it's a salty sweet for me which yeah. is good and that would have never followed my light to heavy protocol. Like, that is not a breakfast. Like, that's... And then it's not even in anything because I would do... I, I couldn't have a protein with a carb. Like, if I was going to have protein, it had to Amy, be other yeah. things. Has so that, been on so many different yes, things that... It's, I have done all the plans. I've done all the things. And, it like, now it's just so freeing that if I want one of my little... Cinnamon raisin egg McMuffin concoction thingies that I make at the house, and I even wrap it in foil, and it keeps it warm. I want to make
3: that for dinner. Yes, yeah, like it's good. so,
0: it's so good. But I guess it's just fun to me to make it. And then my dad, they still, I think my family is still getting used to it. They're like, "You're making that for you?
1: Like you're going to eat it? Who are <laughs> you I'm like? imitating
0: exactly? <laughs> my dad, your dad. He's your always dad. like peeking over <laughs> at me. He's like, "What is that for? You? Especially because, you know, he loves food and he was a cook, and that was his love language. And I would always shun his food. And then now he's like, girl, you know, that's probably something I would have made you probably with a side of bacon (laughs) and you would have gave me the Heisman and now I eat it. So, yes, there is freedom in a, a yummy breakfast. And if you can make it leisurely or leisure, a leisure, yeah. a long leisurely breakfast, do it. So Alexis, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you so much. We have the story that we're going to get into after you is going to be a girl that is named Laura Lee. She is a chef and has some cookbooks. And I think she's the perfect person to follow up our interview with you. So right now we're going to get into a
4: personal story. This is a real story from our friend, Laura Lee, up next. Awesome, thanks. My life trajectory up to the summer of 2008 was centered around becoming a lawyer. That had always been my plan. I dutifully followed the English major program at the University of Virginia, and then I got a job as a paralegal in New York City after graduation. Three weeks in, I knew I would never be a lawyer. Whether it was that specific firm or the context of the financial atmosphere in 2008, I'll never know. But I know that I experienced a quarter-life crisis of epic proportions. Before then, I had a healthy relationship with food. I listened to my hunger cues, ate till I was satisfied, mostly. When I indulged, I didn't give the experience a second thought. I was present, enjoyed every bite, moved on. Here's the thing. I had also felt on top of the world my whole life. I was an A student, president of thus and such, and spoiled by a happy family that provided anything I could want. I felt completely in control of my life, sure that I could map out and accomplish whatever I chose. Yet, standing on a street corner that first post-college summer, tears streaming down my face, I felt zero control. So I found a way to get that feeling back. For me, disordered eating was never about looks. I was okay with my body, had never really fluctuated in my weight or given shape much thought. When I began to restrict food and work out excessively, my weight loss goal wasn't physical, it was mental. I needed to accomplish something to see it checked off the list. I needed there to be something I could always manipulate. I created food rules, a self-constructed guideline for right and wrong when it came to what I ate, how much and when. If I ordered a wrap, I tore off any piece that wasn't actually touching the filling. When I ate almond butter with my breakfast, I couldn't have it later in the day, but I could have peanut butter. Not one or three, but only two scrambled eggs were acceptable. And there were many others that I can no longer recall, thankfully. None of it made sense, none of it was healthy, but following this imaginary protocol was calming and predictable. And when I didn't or couldn't follow it, after a few glasses of wine or out to dinner with a menu I couldn't modify, I felt anxious, guilty, mentally and physically heavy. The next day I'd make sure to add a few extra minutes or bump up the speed on my treadmill. I'd leave a few more bites uneaten. Compensation was the quickest and most satisfying way to get back to status quo. The trickiest parts of my disordered eating were twofold. Firstly, I was eating. I wasn't skipping meals or even eating tiny portions all the time. I just wasn't eating enough. Friends didn't pick up on any problems, so it was easy for me to convince myself that all was well. Plus, I'd created a comfortable distance between me and the people who knew me best. Not only could I better filter my behavior that way, I didn't have to put myself in food-compromising positions. As much as possible, I turned down invites to the movies, to ice cream, drinks after work, or birthday dinners. Secondly, my world was a societal environment of validation. Living in Supermodel City, I received constant praise for my lean frame on a regular basis. The gratification I felt wasn't because they approved of my looks, it was because they were acknowledging the, quote, fruits of my labor. The fragile world I'd constructed could only last for so long, however. My best friend Frances invited me to her mountain house for a long weekend. I knew Frances was concerned, had picked up on my pain more than anyone else. Our second night, we grabbed ice cream in the local town, and I said I was full with one scoop remaining. Frances gently asked if I was okay, and I broke down. I called my parents and told them I needed help. I started to see a therapist who specialized in disordered eating, but it was cooking that truly healed me. I began to spend my free time selecting vibrant fresh food from the Union Square Farmers Market, taking it home to play with in the kitchen. Quickly, my desire to control through restriction dissipated as I found a way to serve myself and others from the inside out. By the time I graduated culinary school in 2013, I had developed a sustainable and respectful relationship with food. My world went from one centered around fear to one centered around hope. I rarely have moments where my old food rules worm their way into my current life. But when they arise, I don't let them guide my decisions. And this takes away their power. I eat the second helping, grab Chick-fil-A or a chocolate croissant, go a few days without veggies or slather almond butter on everything in sight. I just do it anyway. And I see that the world doesn't implode. Life goes on. But not as usual. It's better. Dear Laura Lee, how I wish I could sit myself next to you 12 years ago, where you stared at a city landscape. It looked as bleak as your heart and your mind felt. If I could, I'd rub your 22-year-old back while telling you that you are powerful beyond measure, that you can exhale and let go, that there is no such thing as a finish line or having it all checked off the list, that everything is, beautifully, an evolution, and an ongoing journey. I'd remind you of what you've accomplished and share a glimpse of accomplishments to come, which have nothing to do with what you ate or didn't eat on any given morning. I would lean in, hold your face with my today hands, and convince you that you don't have to accomplish to be perfect and to be loved. That the feeling you're desperately seeking comes from simply resting in your enoughness. I'd offer this as I offer it to myself now. You are a beloved divine miracle by virtue of just being you, and there's nothing you have to do to deserve it.
0: So, we hope you enjoyed today's experts and the stories that were shared and the letters to self. Um, but before we go, Lisa's going to talk with us about self esteem versus self
1: worth. So this is an amazing concept to me. And my whole work, as much as it's about helping people find food freedom through mindful eating, it's actually helping you to establish a true sense of self-worth. And these words, self-esteem and self-worth, are actually used interchangeably, but they do have important distinctions. So I want you guys to think about, spend a few minutes even, thinking about what the difference is between self-esteem and self-worth And I hope that you'll come to realize that self-esteem, the most distinguishing factor between the two of them, is that self-esteem is based off of your perception of how you're being perceived by other people. Mm. Where self-worth comes from within and it can't be robbed. So for self-esteem, for example, you may build self-esteem by getting all A's in school or by being the best athlete in your sport. And when you're better than other people, And you're getting that applaud. It's wonderful. But the question is, what happens when that applaud's no longer there, which will eventually come with all those things? Even if you go and win the gold medal in ice skating, right? You've built all this self-esteem off of how good of an ice skater you are, only to the next year either lose or eventually age out, Mm, right? And this applies to whatever you're in. Maybe it's not the Olympics. But while it's important to to build our self-esteem, to feel confident in our own skin, Self-worth is where we need to put our efforts into understanding ourselves because with self-worth, we don't have to do anything. We are who we are, and we are worthy of love and wholesomeness. But it's a lot easier to say than to do, right? Yes, I think that this takes work. This takes work, and this is why when you see people on Instagram talking about self-love and you say, well, or body love even, and it feels so foreign to you, it's because you don't arrive at body love and body You know, I I love my body now or I love my entire self now. You have to do some work. And this is the part that most people miss, which is self-awareness, getting to know who you are. You might only think about yourself in strengths or you might only think about yourself in terms of your weaknesses. Both are really unfair because you are a total sum of all of these things. And when we begin to accept that we are a total whole of all of this, we can begin to see ourselves more clearly and develop that self-worth that we are here, we are loved, and nothing can ever change that. Yeah. There's power in that. So much power. And you have a worksheet? I do. I've got a worksheet to help you get there because remembering that it's a process and that we need to engage in this process is absolutely fundamental work. So you can go to forkthenoise.com
0: forward slash self-worth and that's your homework for the week. Yeah. And then next week will be episode four, final episode. We'll have... Expert talk again and stories to be shared. And then uh, Lisa and I will just put a bow on this thing. But who knows? This may not be the end yeah. all be all, but this is, I will just call this like season one of whatever it is we have going on here with Outway. And we would love your feedback. So again, hit us up on Instagram at Amy. and Lisa is at The Well Necessities. We would love to hear from you. Screenshot the episodes if you're listening, share them on social, use the hashtag Outway. And we will see you next Saturday for episode four. Okay, so again, just kidding, false ending. I am coming back on this time without Lisa. If you are new to the series, you just heard episode three and there's two other episodes to listen to. So go back and find those if somehow you've stumbled across this one. And we recorded this in early March before coronavirus got crazy and felt like, We needed to come back on, but Lisa and I aren't together anymore. So by we, I mean me but I represent Lisa as well and just touch on something that you might be going through at home during quarantine in this situation. We just didn't want to ignore the fact that there's a global pandemic and not address something that might be helpful to you during this time. So we both really like to post that the birds papaya put up. If you don't follow her on Instagram, you definitely should. Lisa and I've already said, if we do a season two of this series that, the bird sopia would be goals to have on as an expert. So here is what she posted. It's her in a cute little denim jacket with a pink hoodie peeking out and she is drinking a Coke Zero out of the can. And here's what she posted. I'm doing a lot of things these days that are not part of my normal lifestyle. Even things I felt I'd rid my lifestyle of as if I'd found a moral high ground without them. Things like drinking diet soda, playing video games, watching TV till 2 a.m., and endless bowls of cereal for no reason. Maybe you were late, or perhaps you're dealing with this entirely differently. Perhaps for many, we are reaching emotionally because it all feels so constant. I don't know what's right. I'm not sure any of us do. So we do what feels the closest thing to it, just in need of simple comforts, reminding ourselves it's not bad to do so, even if it's all contrastingly different than what we did before. This is us coping during a pandemic without any guidebook in place to do so. And it feels unstable because really it is. So we move from laughing to crying one moment to the next. I got this to no, I don't from one room to the next. Grateful for this time and resentful of it too. So I'm doing what feels the closest to right right now. Drinking the damn soda, eating more damn carbs, watching TV to drown out the noise, whatever feels the closest to right. So again, that's from The Birds Papaya. Her name is Sarah and you should definitely follow her on Instagram. Her website is thebirdspapaya.com and she has a lot of really great posts that hopefully will be helpful to a lot of you and inspiring and encouraging. So that officially concludes episode three for real for real this time. So quickly want to shout out to those that were on today's episode, a big thank you to our experts, Caitlin and Alexis, and then uh, those that came on to share their story and their letters, Rachel and Laura Lee, which speaking of Laura Lee, she has a new cookbook out, which is super cool. It came out on April 7th, so y'all should definitely go check it out. It's called Simply Laura Lee balanced recipes for everyday living and I put it up on my Amazon page to make it easy if you already know how to get to my page that's where it is radioamy.com is my website where you can click on Amazon favorites or if you just go to amazon.com/shop/radioamy it's under books under that section Or you can just go to Amazon and type in simply Laura Lee balanced recipes for everyday living. So whatever you want to do, however you want to get it, just uh, show her some love and maybe you'll find some new recipes to whip up during quarantine. All right. I hope y'all are doing well, staying safe, and we'll see you next Saturday for the final episode of our Outweigh series. All right, this sun season, evolve your sun care with new Banana Boat 360 coverage. With Advanced Control Mist, it's a new way to spray. It's an all new bottle for an all new mist experience that smells great and is incredibly light on your skin. You can even customize your spray. Like to cover targeted areas, you just tap the trigger lightly or you can pull the trigger fully for a long continuous spray, ensuring long lasting Banana Boat protection. Plus, it's refillable from sweat-resistant sport formula to kids SPF 50+. plus, This is sun care that'll come in handy when my kids are swimming, playing sports, when I'm hiking, when we're out at the lake, or whatever it is that we're doing outdoors. Shop Banana Boat 360 Mist at Walmart, Target, or Amazon. In every pair of Tacoba's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited
4: time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.